What does comfortable feel like? Not sitting straight up, not being all tense. So not being tense, slouching. That's slouching. what, that's what I would call Slouching is more comfortable, yes. Slouching yes. is more comfortable than non-comfortable? What I really hate is doing depositions. They, I know. Depositions are crazy, aren't they? they put you in front of the, 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 that curtain uh-huh. kind of screen, and, and then they got the camera going. And the court reporter. Oh, and the court reporter over yeah. here. And six attorneys lined up over there. I've been sitting in on some depositions on a case I'm working on. And fortunately, I'm not... I'm not being deposed yet, but I'm having to sit there and listen to those people that are being deposed. Really? So they're letting you sit in and, and watch depositions? Because, yeah, they're asking me to because I'm the uh, origin expert. Uh-huh. And so um, it's – of all the depositions they're doing, I'm just sitting in on the ones that are related to the origin and the cause of the fire. Yeah, yeah. And it's what a, they saw. That's weird to be asked. I mean, that's kind of unusual. I think it is. You know, I've been when I was working, I sat, I was deposed, right. and um, I don't remember anybody being there except the attorneys. Yeah, that's yeah, that's and, my experience mm-hmm. too. And, and really, was, a cold room and like the most uncomfortable chair. Oh, usually. very much so. Like yeah. with nails poking out, <laughs> it's like a torture chair. <laughs> and it's it's a, a deposition you think would take, you know, an hour, maybe two. They can stretch it into seven hours. Oh, yeah, because I think they get paid by the hour. Well, I, mean, I was too, so it's okay. <laughs> well, oh, there you go. <laughs> that's the perfect answer. Is there anything fun at all about investigations? There's lots of fun stuff about What's fun about investigation? I'd, I'd, I'd be curious. I, and don't say donuts and unlimited pizza because that isn't fun. That's, it's not. That's necessary, but it's not fun. So, well, for me, when I get to work on a team with another investigator, it, that's that's fun. But um, I'm outside. I mean, the, the the investigation. What I'm talking about is the origin um, part of it, the origin and right. cause part of right. it. Right. When and, you're out looking around, poking yeah, around, and stuff. I mean, you're out there um, focusing on individual little blades of grass, individual little stones the size of a pea, and and hopefully the weather's good. Yeah. And so you're out there um, just by yourself in your world, focusing on the the burn indicator, and and that's fun. It it can get kind of brutal with the weather sometimes, you know, the heat and the, um, and I've been out doing it in pouring rain, an origin investigation, pouring rain. I've been out in 105 degree temperatures in in uh, South America. Um, that's not fun, but the fun part is following the indicators back and then actually finding right. the origin and, and being successful. And telling the story, the right? I mean, telling t- the story, tell the story yeah. of what happened. And I, I think you're right. The team part is really fun. You do get to to be on really cool teams with cool people. I do. I do more so now. So when I was working with the Forest Service, I um, I was generally by myself. Solo um, Lobo. Yeah. Yeah. I, one, um, I was the only investigator on the Western Slope of Colorado, the only special agent with the Forest Service. Right. And um, then take that even a step further down of all the special agents with the Forest Service. There's only a smaller handful that's um, qualified to do fire investigations and interested in doing fire investigations. Right. And so because there's so many other investigations that have to be done, some of them focus on um, you know, drug interdictions, some right. focus on timber theft, archaeology theft. And so my specialty after about 2000 was fire investigation. And, and, and after about 2000, it seems like we started having more and more wildland fires. Right, and so I was getting called all over the nation, and then 
um, I started getting called to different places around the world, Greece. Um, mostly that was teaching. The only place I've done the actual investigations is in Brazil that's outside the U.S. Introduce yourself to us. So, so why do we want to know you? Who are you? <laughs> um, I'm not sure why you want to know me. <laughs> uh, no, no I, I'll fill in that part later. Okay. I'll, I'll add that later. That'll be fine. <laughs> um, the, um... Hi, everybody. Todd Conk with Pre-Accident Investigation. How are you? It is so good to spend time with you. How is that for the longest cold roll introduction known to mankind? <laughs> so I should tell you guys, uh, so today's podcast you're going to love. There's a... Uh, Really, no question about this at all. You're going to love it. <laughs> so you, if you don't know, you probably know this, but I, when you sit down to do a podcast with me, I just turn the stuff on because I find that the conversation we have before we actually officially start the podcast is always super interesting and fun, and, and everyone's guard's kind of down. It's a really great chance to get to know people. And so uh, the the person I talked to today, Brenda Rice is her name. You're going to like her. Um Super important fire investigator, big investigator. It's it's a it's, she's perfect for the podcast today. She comes in and and we're talking, and so I you know I had everything turned on just like I always do, and I was gonna you know sneak out you know with that little part that said what's fun about him being an investigator, but I really liked it when she was talking about you know what comfort means and de- depositions, and then I just couldn't find a place to cut it off, so I thought well you know I'll just you can see how we do this because I I left like. The longest cold roll ever, but I also think it's one of the best ones ever. So I'm completely happy with this. It's 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 fun. It's fun at a bunch of levels, which is kind of how today's conversation is. So everything is grand. Um, I can't even tell you how grand everything is because, you know, at this time of year, one tends to sort of step back and think, you know, let's stock check. Let's let's take a little look at how life's been so far. And, you know, this has been a year, that's for sure. It's been a, a year of, of mostly ups, not a lot of downs, but I sure did get to see a lot of you this year, and that was fun. And I can't wait to see the rest of you. We need to hang out more. That's just it. We need to. And there's going to be some cool opportunities to do that for sure coming up. I mean, we'll get together. We'll make a chance to get together. Um, you know, next year we got HPRCT. We got we got the, the Human Performance Conference with ORCHSC. There's a bunch of places that we can hang out. So don't fret. We'll get together. Mostly what we want to do is start aligning ourselves for the big beginning of the next year. You know, the new year's resolution period of time where I've been carefully crafting what my new year's resolution is going to be for uh, months now, months, months now, to be really honest, I haven't thought much about it. I need to, because it's always kind of a fun time for me, but I gotta, I gotta have a clever idea. If you got any clever ideas, give them to me. I'm super curious what you're thinking and how you're doing. Other than that, I mean, life's going grand. We're we're slowly but surely, chunk by chunk, piece by piece, story by story, getting people to be um, in a position where their systems are more reliable and their lives are more fulfilled. Good work, well done for the right reasons. We know the rules. We, We learned them this year. This was the year we learned those rules, and that's what we do. So let's just jump into the podcast. If I talk much more, I'll, I'll be blabbing out forever. This is Brenda Rice. And Brenda worked for really an entire career as a special investigator for the United States Forest Service. 
and she is an expert at every level, expert, expert, like an expert's expert in um, fire investigations for wildland fires, which for those of us on the podcast, no matter where you live, uh, this has become kind of a large issue. If you're in North America, I probably don't need to say more. If you're in Australia, you're burning right now. If you're in Europe, um, hello, Spain. I mean, wildland fires are becoming more and more a part of what happens. And it's interesting because I really wanted, well, getting the chance to talk to Brenda is a miracle. Getting her on the podcast is a double miracle. But I I really like the intersection for her work between culpability and context. And and she she actually talks about it in a way that I think is really interesting. She talks about the source of spark and the source of ignition. And, um, and that is kind of the difference between cause and context, if, if you think about it. I think you'll find this podcast to be remarkably interesting. You want to know why I think that? Because it is remarkable. It's so interesting. I couldn't find things to cut out in the stupid introduction. Can you imagine what the body of the podcast sounds? Just wait till we get deep into the, the depths of what we have to talk about. So with that, I should shut up because if I shut up, I think I'm better when I shut up. So let me shut up and introduce, this is Brenda Rice. She's going to tell you about herself. Excuse me. I'm getting choked up. That was emotional right there. She's going to tell you about herself and her career, but mostly she's going to talk about the work she does. Not in, in a, not in the sense of, of how she does the work. You should take the class they offer, but in how they think about doing the work, which is the part I find most interesting and everybody wants more investigators on the podcast. That's the biggest feedback I get. Well, here it is. This is your day. This is the biggest day ever because you're going to get to sit and listen to Brenda Rice. So I'll shut up. Here we go. Sit back and listen. I think you're going to find this incredibly interesting. Here's Brenda. I'm Brenda Rice. I'm a retired special agent from the U.S. Forest Service. I was um, I was with the U.S. Forest Service in uh, southwestern Colorado in Durango. Uh, with the Forest Service as a special agent for 25, about 25 years, and um, started doing the fire investigations in about 2000, and really got focused on it in 2002. Interesting. So interesting. And and investigations are something that, I mean, people just can't hear enough about. They're They're constantly fixated on investigations. Why do you guys investigate? Why do you investigate? So the primary reason to investigate a fire, obviously to determine who caused it or what caused it, then the who caused it. Um, but if you can determine what caused it, initially back in the 70s or 80s, the purpose of fire investigation was to develop prevention programs. Right. So, was so to the, learn and improve. To learn and improve, right. yeah. To, to learn, okay, what are our main causes of fires out here? And if we don't, don't go out and do an investigation – we don't know that our main problem, and maybe in this area, was carbon particles from exhaust from trucks going up the hill, or maybe it was escaped campfires. So once we find out what the causes were, then we can develop a prevention program. Hence, Smokey Bear comes in there with you know crush your butts with the cigarettes, um, putting on um, uh, spark arresters on ATVs, motorcycles to prevent fires if those are the we learned those are the causes of the fires. Wow. Wow. How did you learn to do this? So we have a, a training course. I learned back in 1991. Was That was when they taught on stone tablets, right? They had stone tablets. and Pretty much. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was definitely a, a while ago. And that was um, 
in the early or in the late eighties, I believe, was when the Forest Service started realizing we need to develop a fire investigation program, and they developed it under the prevention program of wildland fire suppression. Then in the late nineties, uh, a handful of investigators with several agencies, Forest Service, BLM, and some state agencies, realized we we don't have a process, we don't have a scientific methodology, a methodology to follow that is peer-reviewed to follow. So um, starting in the late 90s, they developed a one-week course. It's called Wildland Fire Origin and Cause Determination. It's a week-long course that that teaches you to follow a prescribed scientific methodology, and then it goes into all the different fire causes and it's a it's a phenomenal course. Again, it's a week long, and it's one of its really um, highlighted strengths is three days of out in the field. field where we actually, yeah. yeah, where we yeah. actually go out and um, like the Sunday before the class starts on Monday, we burn um, the uh, teaching plots, wow. and so the 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 students you know watch the death by PowerPoint right. for the first day or so. Right. And then um, every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday for the entire second half of each of those days, they're out there on hands and knees following the burn indicators. And those are, you know, down on their hands and knees with dental picks as need be. What what tips do you have for people who do investigations? What, what have you learned through the years that have made you a better investigator, in, in your opinion? First and foremost, don't... Um, don't get any expectation bias or yeah. confirmation bias. How do you manage that? How do you manage that kind of – because bias is really hard, and I agree with you 100%. How do you manage it? Experience, really, uh, and experience realizing that you get there and you see a campfire, uh, the remains of a campfire ring, and so you're expecting it to be the campfire. Right. There, that's just human nature sure. to, to expect that. Then you have to back up and realize, no – Follow your methodology. Do the whole process of of walking the perimeter a couple of times, following the burn indicators, and let the individual burn indicators lead you back. If it leads you back to the campfire ring, fine, but it may lead you elsewhere. And I get around it because I've I've gotten to origins, uh, general origin areas where I see what could easily be the cause of that wildfire. But then I follow the indicators, and it leads me back to another origin. Wow! So knowing knowing that is how I over how I myself can overcome the expectation. But that's, that's pretty bias. hard to do. I mean, that kind of bias is really tough. But how much preparation, like on the way to an investigation, you do much preparation? Do you pre-read? Do you do you do you go in cold or do you go in hot? So if not that as makes far sense. as yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, not it as far as professional pre-reading. though, kind of. Yeah, there's things that um. That you do, um, there's a lot of pre-work, right. to put it that way, that you do for an investigation, especially as investigations in your area. Right. You learn that it's a local knowledge. Right. Um, you learn the roads, the the cultural uses of the area. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I know ahead of time maybe that, okay, we've had a fire over in this part of the National Forest, and that area over in there is where a lot of kids go to party. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe as I'm coming in, I need to be watching for the vehicles coming out. I need to be looking for big piles of tires they may have been burning or, or pallets. Right. Um, or this is an area where um, uh, a train goes through, 
and it's not uncommon to have carbon particles from the train. So I'm already teaching myself the, the local knowledge of the area. But then the actual day of the fire, when you get the call to respond to go test the or to go um, determine the origin, you're looking at, as you're driving to, you're looking at the, what the smoke column's doing. You're looking at what the wind is doing. Paying attention to the smoke column is important because the wind is extremely important on us determining the origin. Right. And um, so I guess those are the main pre-things. Most of it is just developing experience. And it, it's a um, perishable skill. It, it, I agree. And the weird thing about investigating is you need experience, but I don't know how to tell you to get experience if you want to be an investigator. You know what I mean? It's this weird it's this weird chicken and egg cycle kind of, it's, it's, it is, it's, it's bizarre. And like for me, and, and this has only happened maybe in the last 15 years, I've kind of quit preparing because in order to fight the bias part of it, I go in and, and I haven't pre-read because when I, when I sit and pre-read or when I think about the event before I go and look at the event, I almost always formulate some opinions oh. that I have a hard time knocking back down. I have to like shoot them with a fire hose. Get down, get down. So you mean, I, I think I'm following you now. So you mean more pre-reading of, you're pre-reading about the incident. Yeah, the incident. Okay, so, um, yeah, let me back up on that. No, you, I think um, your answer was brilliant. Though. Okay, because there's the origin investigation I was doing when I was working as a special agent. Um, I had basically the entire gamut of it right. from respond, getting the phone call from dispatch, getting out there, hopefully being one of the, the first ones on the scene. On the Granted, scene. The, the initial attack has arrived and may have um, damaged or somehow um, affected the origin, right. like walking over it, spraying water. Right, right, it. whatever. Mm -hmm. But then, and I, and I would have to arrive on the scene and do um, control of the evidence, control of the scene, plus interview any witnesses then do the origin investigation, then um, continue with after-the-fact interviews, and then write it all up and say it was a, um, an escaped campfire. Right. And so I wrote it all up, um, including the factors that led up to it. Was they Did they maintain it improperly? Did they leave it unattended? Were they burning um, during a fire ban? So I put all that together then put the entire case report together with the witness statements and all, take that to the prosecutor or um, to a civil attorney and decide if they're going to go civil or criminally. But now that I'm retired, my consulting job is taking what I just explained now that someone else has done. So another uh -huh. investigator has taken all that. Uh -huh, yeah. And then I read their report and um, then I go out to the scene. So yeah, I'll, and and I I can't do the scene protection because I it can be going out there a week or two later, right? And as long as I've gone out as long as sixteen months after the origin of the wow, fire, um, to try and follow what burn indicators are left back to the origin to corroborate or disprove what the initial investigator, what the written up investigation says. So let me ask this question. It's kind of a weird question, but it's an important one, at least to me. Do you think there's a difference between a cause and a description, a cause and an explanation? I yes. told you it was weird. It's a weird question, but I think it's, 
it's one I think about a lot. So to me, in, in my guess vernacular, the cause is the item that started the fire, the, that what is the item? The physics, right? The, the, yeah, the thing. The, the, what thing yeah. first came um, that, that produced heat? high enough to bring the forest fuels to yeah. the ignition point. Yeah, yeah, That yeah. is the cause. That's kind of the trigger, right, in a way? I mean, that's that sort of triggers the event. It is. Um, and there's an I'm – I'm drawing a blank right now. So there's the um, there's the cause and there's the ignition factors. Ah, ignition factor. That's cool. So that that's that's probably most tied into what you're talking about, the explanation. Yeah. So the ignition factors, um, again, back to the, the example I was using of a campfire, the cause – is a maybe a um the wind picked up and a burning ember blew out of the campfire right and dropped into the so leaves really simple really linear the right. cause is the understandable cause is right but the ignition factors are the fact that um a front came through and the winds picked up they didn't have sufficient clearing around their campfire um they Maybe we're building too big of a fire. Humidity was low. Humidity was low. Dry, dry season. Bad dry snow. season. Um, dry forest fuels. The um, the the fuel moistures were so low that it, the that little ember, uh, once it ignited, the leaves or the brush was able to carry and and carry like instantly and and blow out maybe a mile in the first evening. And the story for improvement then is really not the story of the cause. That's just the ember. It's the story of, of what you're calling the ignition factors. That's really where there's lots of places for us to learn. That's where we can make differences. That's where we can put spark arresters on ATVs. All those things become really interesting. Correctly. And that's where we, um, when we realize that, that, that um, those ignition factors for, in this case, the campfire, um, could be conducive to fires escaping. Wow. That's when we put in burn restrictions. Yeah. Wow. That's, so you're so interesting to me because... You're one of the few investigators that I can talk to um, that really understands the law enforcement side and also the overall contextual side, the, the, the learning and improving side. And they're very different. A law enforcement, an investigation that's done for law enforcement is really done to determine culpability to a great extent. Fair enough. Correct. Whereas a big ignition factors, rich investigation, really culpability kind of secondary what you're really looking at are the multiple factors that came together in, in a way to create the the conditions by which this giant fire could happen right correct right. how do you see that intersection because i think people struggle all across the world in industry with sort of the tension between a culpability-based investigation which i'll just show my cards really quickly brenda i, I don't think they're worth a crap I mean, I don't think you learn a lot from a culpability other than who's culpable. And a more context-rich, ignition factors-rich investigation, which allows the company or the country or the organization or the whoever had their failure to really improve from it. How do you justify the, the difference between those two? Because you do both. So with the culpability part um – as well as the, and I'm just going to call it the prevention part. Sure. Oh, that's I, a be, that's a much better word. Yeah, that's that's perfect. Um, as an example, let's use a um, a dirt bike, a motorcycle, where um, motorcyclists sometimes like to ream out their um, spark arrester. Sure. 
And as you get a little more performance. Exactly. Yes, I'm with you on that one. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so the the spark arrester meets standards um, of what size of a particle can escape through it. And so if they ream it out now, then they've, they've caused a fire possibly with all those conditions, right? Sure. So um, if we find the culpable in, culpable individual um, and the offending spark arrester, we take the spark arrester to a lab, have it tested to see if it does meet the the parameters or have they modified it somehow. So then we find out they have modified it. And now we have a culpable person. To me then, um, taking them, making them accountable for it, either civilly or criminally, then we get um, the word out through just publicity that, you know, if I ream out my spark arrester, I might be responsible for this million-dollar fire, and I might get a bill for it. So that's how I tie the culpability to the prevention. That's and interesting, too, because that – that. so I'm not sure the deterrence part of that works very well. In fact, I can probably show you evidence where it's not very it, – because it's the law of small numbers. The chances my dirt bike would cause the fire are really low. But I like how you guys are building based upon what you're learning contextually on the prevention side of the equation because I – I think the power we have um, in a non-law enforcement investigation, you know, in a non, um, we're not policemen now, we're just people trying to improve and learn. The power we have is not in the story of the spark, the cause, because the cause is really, I mean, it's, you get heat at a certain height. I mean, it's just, it's really linear. It's really, it, it obeys the laws of physics. The power we have is in the story of all the conditions, the, the factors, the context, we call it, around the event, because that gives us a lot of different things we can choose to look at and improve. And and that's really valuable. And those context-rich investigations, I think, make a huge difference. And that's what you guys do. I mean, that's exactly what you described to me. Okay. I, yeah, I, mean, no, I, I agree. Yeah. You know, I, you know I, when you nod your head on a podcast, no one knows what that I means. I understand that. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, to <laughs> process what you said and put it into the context of of my experience. Well, it's, it's what I think is so cool is that that intersection between your two, you've always lived in two worlds as an investigator. You you live in a world. Correct. So when you write an investigation, you're really writing two investigations. Fair. I mean, and jump in and tell me I'm wrong because I'm wrong on a ton of crap. So that won't hurt my feelings, but you're writing really an organ, an investigation that could have criminal liability it could be used for culpability. Correct. Yeah. And an investigation that actually goes out to a whole entire community of wild wildland fire people who help them understand prevention and really fire science and, and study those fires. You do both. That's correct. Yes. And I think that mm-hmm. that intersection is really cool because you're constantly between those two. That's really cool. And we're, what's also really cool is we're, you know, I was talking about we teach the, the ignition sources is right. the part of it, the causes. Right. And that... Um, started out to be about a, a three-hour section of that week-long course, and now we can barely fit it into almost six hours because yeah. there's always new causes yeah. coming on. So, you know, everyone knows about cigarettes and everyone knows about um, carbon particles from exhaust, but we're, we're getting more different causes now that that um, that is causing some industry people to look at, things like um, Chinese lanterns. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Uh, you see them, you know, going Because they're out. gorgeous, right? I mean, it's they're, really beautiful. They're beautiful. But if they come down, if they land before that little candle has yeah, extinguished, yeah, yeah. they're causing wildfires. Yeah, of course. Um, the um, wind turbines. Oh, really? When a wind turbine fails, it yeah. is very spectacular. And it throws flame and um, hot uh, particles from it down into the grasses below it. And obviously when, when the wind turbine is spinning so hard, the winds are high. Right, and if, of course. And when that, when that ember drops, then that's uh, the potential for an extreme wildfire is there. Same with power lines. And that's what you're seeing in California with when the, when the conditions are so... Um, extreme that causes power line failures, those conditions are also extreme for fire behavior. So it's almost the perfect environment by which a wildland fire can happen. So if you, so, so if you had to give, I don't know, if you gave your lesson, the things you've learned as an investigator, what would your tips be to people who do investigations? Just keep doing investigations. Be very, very patient. Go yeah. out there and and compartmentalize when you get out to an origin. As an example, you get out to a fire that, that's hitting national, if not international, news because um, it's gone thousands and thousands of acres and there's fatalities um, and it's just horrendous. You've got to compartmentalize that and realize you're not the firefighter. You're the origin expert. Your job is to focus down on this less than a two-acre area and finally down to an area that is like 10 feet by 10 feet. Your job is to be patient and and try and compartmentalize and, and in effect, block out all the chaos that's going on around you and focus on the individual stems of grass, the individual burn indicators. Find the origin because you have to find the origin before you can find the cause. And so, um, in a way, put blinders on to the world around you and focus on that and be very patient. It can take anywhere from a few hours, which is very uncommon to be that quickly, up to multiple days to find the origin of any wildfire. Wow. So it's all in the details. The details are what matter. And I love how you say compartmentalize. Thanks for your time. This was great. I'm so pleased to get the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you for the opportunity. You were amazing. Thank you. And there you have it. What do you think? Wasn't that good? I'm oh, sorry, I was so loud. I know. I'm just. I'm, you think I'd get to hang at this after a while? I'm not. It's not going to happen. It's never going to just relax. It will not happen. So that's the podcast. Special giant thanks to Brenda and to you for listening. I think I found that really interesting. It's fun to talk to somebody who does that and and does it uh, uh, a lot in a big way. And I think it's good for us to listen to. So that's good. So keep listening. Thanks for being here. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. And for goodness sakes, be safe.